Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to try something just a little bit unique today with our experience. It's going to be a traditional experience that we share, but I had a suggestion from my brother who's been listening to the podcast um, of putting music in the background of the podcast as I'm reading. So we'll see how it goes. I'm going to try it today and, and we'll just see how it uh, how it works out. So let me know if you like it. If if you're not particular either way, then you know just either let me know or don't say anything. <laughs> and uh, if you really, really, really love it, then let me know because uh, it will be a little bit more work this way. But uh, it, it I'm curious to see how it works, and I think it um, may be kind of fun to try. The you know the music guy in me. Um, anyway. So here is the experience of Anne-Marie from Enderf.org. In the summer of 1971, I was a typical 15-year-old girl. Happy one minute, discontented and insecure the next. A good kid, but as most girls that age, confused, tired of my family and frightened about the unknown future. It was a time of searching. That June was hot. The grass, dry and parched, it hadn't rained the entire month. On the last day of June, a light rain began to fall amidst a bright, sunshiny sky, and my family and I couldn't resist going outside. The smell of the wet, dried grass was sweet, and the cool raindrops refreshing and renewing. As we played in the rain, a single lightning strike appeared. It struck me and a nearby tree, rendering me lifeless. I never felt the strike, a question I am always asked. I was in a void-like place, watching a silent but colorful film strip-like event of past occasions of my life. This void-like place was black and white, like an old TV, but the pictures were colorful and very specific. One event was of me as a young child pushing a younger sister off a tricycle. This was like a running film strip. It did not pause and it just kept going. The events were of times I had hurt someone's feelings. I didn't feel judged, but I was made aware of how I had affected others. Next. I was in the presence of who I believed to be Jesus. I did not visually see him, but I knew very clearly that he was present. I was in a void-like place with him. It was a bit like the beautiful billowy clouds you see when you're in an airplane, but a black or gray and white version of that sight. While in his presence, I felt such indescribable love warmth, acceptance, patience, tolerance, peace, calm, and serenity. As you can guess, with all these objectives, the the wonder of it cannot be described in a way to explain the profoundness of it all. Visuals were not needed. Understanding and love was all that mattered. While in his presence, I felt that the knowledge of the universe was mine. All questions were answered and made complete sense. We communicated freely, not with words, 
but clearly and more concise than any conversation I had ever had. I had no worries of this world. He told me very clearly, it's all about love. I was also told that suicide was not my choice to make. Time did not exist. It is as if it's here just for our earthly convenience. I know that sounds wild, but it made perfect sense at the time. I then became aware of my body on the ground. I was watching from above, but could clearly see and distinctly, almost as if I could zoom in if needed. There were no emotions, except I heard a rescuer say to my dad, it's been over six minutes. If she comes back now, there may be brain damage. I remember thinking, oh, bull, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I suppose the rec rescuer was attempting to get my father to think about ending CPR. Other than that, I had no emotion about what was happening. My mind and soul were not part of my body and were not concerned about the activity below. I felt like a silent observer. Next, I was clearly given a choice to stay or to go back. I felt very much that I wanted to stay where I was, but I looked down and saw my usually calm in crisis mom nearly hysterical and very distraught. I felt her sorrow and was instantly back on earth in my body. Apparently just thinking and feeling my mom's pain was my decision to return. On the way to the hospital, I mentioned the experience to my mom. She suggested that it must have been a dream. I knew it was not. But in 1971, the term near-death experience did not exist. Without mentioning it again, I felt strongly that the experience was not socially acceptable and then suppressed and repressed it for many years. The experience did not re-enter my conscious thought until about six or seven years later when, as a young nurse, a co-worker asked me to join her for a nursing conference. The conference was about death and dying. I thought it a bit morbid sounding, but she persisted and I agreed to go. As I sat in the conference auditorium, only about seven rows from the woman speaker, this speaker, to the point of feeling embarrassed, mesmerized me. I felt that this little old lady was opening me like a book and exposing my hidden passages until I had no secret thoughts. She knew them all. She knew who I was and understood how I thought and felt about life and the afterlife. The speaker was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. At that point, she, or I'd never heard of her before. She unlocked the memories of my near-death experience and allowed me to feel okay about having had one. An incredibly liberating feeling at the time. I sat unable to move. I wanted desperately to speak to her personally, but was too shy and inwardly, and inwardly emotional. After the conference, I no longer needed to repress my near-death experience. And with a f within a few years, the term near-death experience was everywhere. Though this gave me a personal sense of freedom, I never told another person about my NDE for another five or six years. For many years, I was angry at God and confused. With time, I realized the anger 
was because I felt cheated. When asked whether I wanted to stay or go back, I had felt that I was rushed back. I wanted to think it over more. I was also a bit angry that I had to return. In later years, I realized that coming back was my decision, but not at this point. For 20 years, I stayed away from any organized religion. I never doubted God or his existence. If someone had asked me, do you believe in God? My answer would have been, and still is, I don't believe, I know. During this time of anger and frustration, I thought out, or I sought out some new age spiritual things. Much of this was exciting and intriguing at first, providing a very free feeling. But new age stuff is very self-directed. When troubles come, it is difficult to rely on oneself for comfort and guidance. I was left feeling very empty. I needed to feel the full unconditional love, comfort, strength, and patience of our Lord. And for Him to wrap me in His Spirit, fill me and hold me, and then walk with me. Upon letting Him in, my anger began to subside, and once that happened, I started to feel His Spirit lead me. One day I felt compelled to find a Bible that I had been given shortly after my NDE. I had never really read it, wasn't interested, thought it confusing. But that day I opened it blindly to whatever page fell open. The page spoke of the wisdom of God and how the spiritually immature can read and hear God's word but are unable to understand. As I read, the words seemed to be absorbed literally into me as though I recognized them and knew them and knew them somehow I read for hours feeling spiritually fed and renewed now I feel close to God when I read the Bible daily and interact with other believers religious organizations will always have conflicts and leaders are stubborn and rigid they are human and imperfect many people gain a Christ-centered life through organized religion I was given a shortcut but didn't recognize it as that until the past eight or nine years. I don't want to waste any more precious time. No one has all the answers. If we allow ourselves to be led by His Spirit, truth will always be evident. I now feel myself growing forward spiritually and being nourished every day in a way that is healthy and fulfilling. For the first time in all these years, I feel as though I am beginning to do the work he sent me to do. It is a peaceful and contented feeling to be so full of his spirit. I try to seek his guidance in all that I do. When I manage to do that, it keeps my life running smoothly. He is always with us. If we don't feel him, it's because we walked away, not him. That is the end of the experience by Anne-Marie. Interesting stuff. So I find it interesting that uh, it's a lightning strike. And not just a lightning strike, but like the first lightning strike of this rainstorm that they were in. Now they were playing in the rain, and so you always know that's a risk in a rainstorm. But uh, a single lightning strike that she doesn't even remember, which makes sense. I mean, you get hit by lightning, you're gone. It's like the electric chair. I, I, I doubt there's any conscious feeling of you know of pain in that process i think your your the electrocution is probably faster than your pain receptors um 
most of the time and and probably you're going to just drop to the ground not know anything happened until you are hovering over your body and saying oh that's me i guess i'm dead and then Anne marie finds herself suddenly in a void like place i'm sure this is the void and though the void looks different to different people it is also common as Anne marie's experience for um to have a life review during this time and she was shown many experiences where she had done things that were not her best spiritual self doing them or or that were against her better um nature but uh, then she but she says she doesn't feel judged by them but she was made aware of how those things affected other people which i find is the most interesting aspect of the life review is seeing how it affects others and then she finds herself in the presence of jesus and true to the near-death experience uh, experience um, the other senses of sight hearing and all and so forth like that kind of take a backdrop because she says i did not visually see him but i knew very clearly that he was present and i bet if you were to ask her if you could have traded your sense the senses that you had um in experiencing him with your five senses could would you have traded them for seeing and hearing him i i have no doubt that she would say oh no 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 because the experiences of being able to experience him him on this sensing um, beyond the five senses was probably much more potent and not to mention that the communication that they had um, she says that we communicated freely not with words not with or but with clear and more concise than any conversation I ever had I had no worries about this world in this situation because that uh, situation is so all-encompassing. Again, I think her, her spiritual senses were much more prominent and much more dominant than uh, were her f typical five senses. And she does talk about having uh, the ability to see, the ability to hear, and so forth, but they're almost dulled in the background because um, these spiritual senses were so... Um, so vivid to her if you will and then she sees the commotion over her body and it seems to be the uh the hysterical distraught nature of her mother that bends her soul to the decision to come back and you know she argues about it later with herself that she didn't get a chance to choose you know she was told you can choose but i i didn't get a chance to choose but apparently she did, and she and she does say later that she realizes later that that was her decision, that she did make a decision to come back. But apparently those decisions in the spirit form are much more, you know, I mean, there's no fence sitting on this, you know, and so you start bending one way, you've probably made the decision, which is interesting. And I don't know if everyone who makes a decision on the other side um, if if it starts bending that direction in general, if that's if that's kind of a thing, or if it's just um, something that takes place for those who are are being allowed to come back or not, 
or choose to come back or not. But anyway, very interesting. And then she finds herself back. And then also true to near-death experiencers, um, most people who have a near-death experience haven't been studying it because there's just not a lot of people, relatively speaking, to the number of people in the world or in America, whatever, that... Uh, that know much about near-death experiences other than maybe they've heard of the light in the tunnel. And so they're a little bit shy to share it because they're afraid people are going to think they're crazy. And often they're right to be cautious because in some areas, you know, I know where I am, I think it's very unlikely that people would be considered crazy just because of the heavy religious background in the, um, in the faith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where the spirit world is such a big part of the religion that if you were called crazy for, um, or if, if a doctor called you crazy for talking about the spirit world, you would probably be frowned upon as a doctor and maybe even, you know, lose patience over that because, um, uh, you know, your patients would leave if the word got out that you were called crazy for having had a spiritual experience with your death. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a social stigma around, you know, calling somebody crazy for having um, a spiritual experience like that. But there are many, many areas where if you share your experience, oh, I was just up on the wall and whatever, they'll suddenly start prescribing um, medication for uh, schizophrenia and other um, disorders, which is totally, totally inappropriate for this situation, and unfortunate that it's it's. Uh, so I would say to anybody, if you have a near-death experience, to at least test the waters with your doctor um, before uh, <laughs> sharing it with. If you feel like sharing it with them, unless you know them well and know that they would accept it for what it really is. You, you might want to say, so, doctor, do you ever have uh, people, you know, experience stuff in their, you know, while they're out during these kind of things? And if they say, oh, did you have something? No, I'm just wondering if other people ever do, you know, it was, or whatever. And, and if they say, well, sometimes they report having these kind of experiences. Oh, really? What, what, uh, what do you do about it when they do that? And if they're like, well, we often have to prescribe this and that, then, you know, don't share that with them. If they say, oh, it's very common, and, and I mean, it's it's not anything wrong or bad. This is this is what a lot of people experience, you know. It's, it's nothing to be worried about. Then you could say, well, actually, doctor, I did have a little bit, and I just didn't want to uh, <laughs> uh, bring on the uh, medications to treat this experience, but... So you may want to test the water a little bit. Often you'll find um, that nurses are a little bit more receptive to it, is what I've heard anyway, um, for the simple reason that nurses stick around longer. They're there for a lot of the healing time, for the changing of bandages and, and things like that, whereas the uh, doctor may just be there for the surgery and to check in the next day or whatever. And when somebody is checked into the hospital, they're mostly seeing nurses throughout the day. <clears throat> so um, often the nurses hear more of these experiences and are a little bit more receptive to it. But again, it might be a good idea to test the waters a little bit, you know, and, and so forth. But uh, anyway, very interesting experience, very worthwhile. Again, if you, uh, 
If you like the music in the background, if you think that's worthwhile, let me know. It's more work doing that way because I don't usually do a lot of editing. I'll, I'll edit as I go. If I start, you know, coughing fit or sneeze or something, I'll just back up and then continue recording. But uh, with doing the music, I kind of have to go through the whole thing again, uh, which does take more time. But if you consider it worth it, if it's something that you feel like, wow, that really brought it out more, then let me know because... Uh, you know, again, I want this to be the best experience I can for all of you, and uh, I would love to be able to, um, you know, just expand on it in that way. And since the podcast is catching on, and since it is getting uh, a good uh, listenership, I I want to know what you would like to hear and like to experience with this podcast. So let me know what you think of of this with the music and so forth. Also, if you would like to contact the podcast to share your own experience or to uh, um, have, ask a question or just share a comment, you can do that by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. You can also support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash NDE-CAST or you can also link to that from our website, which is neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And with that, thank you all of you again so much for listening.